Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, Jules, the producer here. Just a quick heads up, this episode includes a few swear words, so if you're likely to be offended, you might want to give it a miss. Or make sure you're listening on headphones if there are other people around. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My good friend Sarah Elgin and Steve Cording are here. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good, Lawrence. How are you? Very well, thank you. You sound like you've got cold. Uh, I've always sounded like I've got a cold. I'm a rugby <laughs> player who's had, he's had his nose smashed every single week and it still hasn't worked itself out. Very good. Busy weekend? Busy um, weekend, yes. Fireworks and pumpkin soup in that order. The oh. kids love the fireworks. They didn't like my pumpkin soup. So, wow. yeah. And lots of rugby. We'll get on to that lots a little bit later rugby. on. So you were on S4C duties. Yes, um, I was. And you were down at the Principality Stadium. I was. So Friday night, actually, I was up in the stoop, actually, for the first ever URC match to be played on London soil that was interesting mm-hmm. um, between Ospreys and the Sharks and then yes on Saturday I was at the Principality doing Wales Barbarians saying goodbye to a few Welsh oh, legends all these people retiring I mean I know, it's just I know, you know right? all... and you know that I cry at a Disney film so yeah. literally <laughs> seeing kind of Alan Jones doing you know a beautiful post-match interview and Lee Halfpenny they were walking around the stadium with their kids I was in floods of tears whilst trying to conduct a post-match interview so um, no yeah and, it was and, fun uh, Justin Tipperick, they and all Justin Tipperick and Justin Tipperick they've played their last game of rugby no well, no, no. Um, we, it's, just, it's just been announced hasn't it Lee Hoffman he's gone oh, to New Crusade. Zealand he's Crusaders done a, he's done a Frankie de yeah. he's in a Crusaders I'm retiring I'm retiring <laughs> no I'm not or Shane Williams <laughs> or he Shane had Williams. three retirements as well didn't he no so yeah so Lee Hoffman he's going to the Crusaders I think he wants to do a bit of coaching as well and Alan Wynne-Jones has a few weeks left or a month or so left on his too long contract but I'm not sure if he's going to play again and Justin Tipbrick will continue to play for the Ospreys and he is in fantastic form for the Ospreys mm. so yeah that was my weekend and of course I was with you um, at TNT I know um, went out with a bang didn't we, we, did, we did. Uh, like Stuart Hogg was on great form he was on very good very form very amusing yeah. very amusing but yes all good Steve have you perked up a bit from last weekend when you feeling a bit gloomy about yeah, the World Cup finishing I, th- I think so yeah it's, uh, it was great to see I have to say uh, early Saturday morning the Red Roses winning against New Zealand getting Indeed. their revenge Marley Packer we have to say World Player of the Year congratulations to her amazing so, how New Zealand couldn't find a crowd to watch that game though. yeah there were they many find a crowd to watch the World Cup final. Yeah, that, I think that was the only disappointing of the, I guess it's the first tournament, isn't it? That the first time they've done the WXV, but yeah, only probably about 6,000 in there watching that. So some work to do on that going forward, but great seeing them win. Good, good. Okay, right. I'm very excited about our guest this week. Um, he was last on the podcast a year ago, and since then he's gone on to become the most capped international rugby referee, having overseen 111 matches, including 27 Rugby World Cup games, more than anyone else in history, and at an unrivaled five tournaments, no less. He's recently announced his retirement, bowing out after presiding over this year's Rugby World Cup final between South Africa and New Zealand. Of course, it's Wayne Barnes. Hello, Wayne. 
way. And I'm actually out of breath after reading that intro. <laughs> I was out of breath for you, but <laughs> I am definitely not doing a Frankie Lawrence. I will not be coming back out of retirement. I won't be going to New sure, Zealand sure. Uh, with Ooh. Lee. Uh, that is it. The whistle <laughs> has been um, chucked away. The boots have gone. And um, I'm looking forward to some more weekends at home. Where do you keep all your whistles? You know what? There's a little Tupperware box that I is got that? given um, yeah. when I first started off. And um, my first season, there's a little place down in Gloucestershire where I started refereeing called Painswick. Painswick RFC. Beautiful little um, picturesque Cotswolds town. And after the match, they used to go into the away changing room if they'd won and plaster the changing room with, congratulations, you've just been defeated by Painswick stickers. So I've got this little Tupperware box, which they'd come into my changing room and covered uh, my little Tupperware box of congratulations you've been beaten by Painswick RFC Brilliant. all over there and it's just sitting at my side of my bed at the moment because I still haven't really finished unpacking is no, it it's quite not. a big box oh no tiny it's only got three what? whistles and a couple of cards And do you not uh, keep all your whistles only got three what? Like you've had, you've played, you've been in 111. What did I just read out? 111 matches, including 27 Rugby World Cup games. Is, this, is this like Trigger's broom? Has it had many, many inversions of it, or is it just really? Oh, no, just it's just three like, only just three. And you just give them a bit of a wash now and again, get rid of all the phlegm and all the, the, oh. the, the, the mucus that's in there. I can only um. imagine the amount of phlegm after 111 international uh, matches. Ugh. Well, that's a nice anyway, place to keep. Yeah. Nancy yeah. Wayne, we have got a lot of questions for you. First of all, congratulations on an incredible career. Sarah's already mentioned your achievements are unparalleled. Regarding your retirement, now it was a bit inconvenient of England to make the World Cup final in Tokyo, to be honest with you, because I suspect you probably would have refereed that game. Because that happened, that, that obviously impacted your decision. You thought, oh, God, I really want to referee a World Cup final, which you should have done. I'm going to have to go for another four years. Was this always going to be your final game? What would have happened if uh, if Ben O'Keefe had uh, not given that penalty and England had made another World Cup final? Right, first of all, Lyle, you need to get over that penalty. Okay, <laughs> okay, get I over have, that I penalty. Have, I have. I've apologised to Ben O'Keefe. Could have yeah. reset it, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, but but also, it. mate, I, I thought that was really good of you. Um, just I don't know if Sarah knows, um, but um, you sent me a message a couple of days after that saying, "Do you mind if I get Ben O'Keefe's number? I need to pick up the phone to him and have a chat." I thought it was. Pretty good of you, mate. Um, so, well done on that. Uh, well, listen, we, it, when I played, we used to have a beer with the referee after the game. Don't know if that still happens, but I used to buy the referees a pint and just go and have a chat and go, look, you know, didn't agree with everything you did, but there you go. Now I can't do that. And I, I allowed my emotions to get up ahead of me and I should have just... That was a cute thing to do. Yeah, I thought it was, re- was really nice. classy, mate. So well done. Um, in answer to the question, like 19, yes, I was given the heads up that if England um, didn't get through to the final, I would have refereed it. But... Like that game in uh, Yokohama Stadium was amazing, absolutely amazing. Though the way that England performed that day, as good as any kind of performance that I've seen, um, and I was in the stadium cheering them on. You know, the one one thing that you grow up as being a a Forest of Dean boy is that you love rugby and you support England and you support like my local you know Bream RFC and you go and cheer them on. So it would have been odd to go to Yokohama Stadium and not cheer them on. Then we obviously had COVID. We had the COVID break, which gave me some more time at home. Um, gave me some more time realising that it's quite bloody hard at home as well so um, having an odd weekend away isn't a bad thing so I had a chat with the family around well do we push on um, to 2023 and what was really nice you had the, the 21 Lions though obviously so you were down there as well it wasn't the greatest Lions trip because of everything that um, that happened and occurred around it but what it was was an opportunity to work with you know 
the Lions, you know, and the Lions is something special. We all know that against the, the current world champions, you know, in those kind of warm up matches. So that was kind of got me through to 21. And then when you get to, you know, September 21, it's, you know, 100 weeks away from the World Cup. So I thought, well, let's give it one more crack. Only 100 weeks. <laughs> when you reflect on your career now, I mean, first of all, what was the first game you ever refereed in professional rugby? And you didn't have a map thinking, oh, I'm going to be the world's most capped referee. I'm going to referee. And, you know, you might, you probably haven't even had a chance to think about it, really. But you must look back with enormous pride in, in what you've achieved. I think you have that conversation when you get to a World Cup uh, final. Lots of people come out and say, oh, this must be your proudest moment. You must be chuffed about that. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think it's longevity, which I'm really proud of. Yeah. You know, that a referee my first premiership match in 2003 down in Bath, uh, Bath and Rotherham. Um, as you lot were off at the World Cup. Yeah. Um, uh, with Spreaders and Whitey that you know Chris White and Tony Spreadbury were refereeing there was a bit of a space left so they said oh some young lads coming up through I was only 24 at the time refereeing Bath and that was you know a decent Bath team at the time you had you know front row of uh, Duncan Bell David Barnes Lee Mears, David Flatman, those types of people, you know, some some, some characters. huge characters. But I think what I'm most proud of is those, you know, those stats you, you've read out. So around, you know, five World Cups, they only take 12 referees to a World Cup. You've got to be best 12 in the world for that period of time. But also like the last eight years, you know, 15, I was up for selection for the World Cup final. Obviously, Nigel, good friend of all of ours, got selected. 19, I would have got it if England hadn't been there. And then, you know, finally getting it, you know, just to, that period of eight years, continuing to try and be the best as I could be. You know, and there's hundreds of premiership games in the meantime as well. And you've got to perform on those. People think, you know, the premiership, you know, might mean as much to us referees. But every time you're on TV, every time people are holding you to account, and you don't want to upset these players because these players, you know, are going out there and trying their best. And they're the guys and girls who you then see on the international kind of arena. So if you upset them doing Exeter versus Leicester or Saracens versus Northampton, you then turn up on the weekend as Scotland versus Wales and they're like, well, you were crap last week, Barnsley, so we hope you're better this week. So, But they don't want to upset you either, though, do they? That's the thing. <laughs> well, I think this. what's really nice is there is still a lovely relationship between the players and the refs and the coaches. You know, over the last week, um, really overwhelming some of the messages of support, not just the English kind of media and the players, but, you know, messages from head coaches around the world, you know, international coaches messages from players you know even like Dan Bigger you know who isn't every referee's cup of tea but to he's send a lovely man a, a lovely man yeah. um, but to send me a message just to say you know thanks always enjoyed your games together um, at least he won't have to have me you know <laughs> gobshiting off at you all the time <laughs> now it's Barnsley, why, why refereeing and not playing do you still fancy carrying on the plane at 24 or, or? Oh, I was crap long if I'm honest <laughs> yeah. See, at least you admit it <laughs> so, like, you ask Nigel Owens that question and he'd be like I was a great yeah. player well, yeah, I was a great I was a crap referee <laughs> no, you kept trying I gave it a good go <laughs> um, so I got injured playing so 15 up in my local Farsadine club in Bream got injured playing and had a couple of seasons off, about 18 months off. A friend of my dad's was a referee and said, look, why don't you come along and do the local third team and I'll do the first team. Lovely tradition in refereeing. You get a couple of quid travelling expenses, but you also, um, after a match, you get a tankard and it gets referee written on it. You <laughs> that get a had you. That, that got you then, A couple of free pints and as a 15-year-old lad, you think <laughs> this is absolutely brilliant. Um, then I went off to university up to East Anglia, that well-known rugby-playing university of, <laughs> of Norwich. And I'd play on a Wednesday with my university mates, who are still my closest mates, and then referee on a Saturday. 
So I earned a few quid, my traveling expenses. Um, you'd get a, you know, a four pack of Stella for the train journey home. And it was great because you got to saw a bit of the country as well. Like my some of my first games um, from Norwich were down in Plymouth, Penzance, Red Roof. You know, so it's taking you about a day to get there from the trains on Norwich. But then, you know, there was that little bit of a freak factor and people kind of welcomed you. You know, here's this 20-year-old lad who dyed his hair bleach blonde because he'd been in the student union bar getting a bit too messy, turning up, asking the president of the club to pick him up from the train station, not really having anywhere to sleep that night. So you would end up sleeping on the on the sofa of the captain kind of spare room or in the chairman's kind of um, lobby. And, you, and it would be like, well, how have I got oh. myself into these situations? But that's old school rugby. I yeah. miss that. Yeah. I miss the yeah. character yeah. of that. My son plays junior football now and you've probably seen it with parents at junior rugby as well. I mean, was there ever an occasion when you were particularly younger you thought, I don't fancy this. This is too much like hard work, too much hassle. There's one game that always sticks out. I would have been 16 or 17 up at Cheltenham, so I, from Gloucestershire, and Cheltenham was like one of the big clubs. And they used to play at this amazing stadium called the Prince of Wales Stadium. Um, it's an athletics track. And it was like their Colts against their Northampton Colts. So Cheltenham, one of the big Colts teams of the country, playing Northampton. Northampton expected to win because they were... Um, the premiership team at the time. Now I was turned up as a 16-year-old to referee 19-year-olds, which you know, was pretty daunting, quite intimidating. And I wasn't very good. I wasn't very good at the start of my career. Some people say, well, you know, at least I've been consistent throughout <laughs> my career. Um, but um, I remember coming off that and the coach of Northampton getting really tucked into me, you know, and I was literally 16. There was a lovely referee from Gloucestershire called Bob Mullis who like refereed um, a lot of the senior stuff but was run touch in the premiership. He was going to take this coach outside. He was like, don't you talk to this kid. Really? You know, he's yeah. 16. Here he is. You're meant to be a coach. You're meant to be uh, teaching your Colts how to play rugby and here you are shouting at one of our referees. It's not good enough. And I thought, bloody hell, this bloke's insane. <laughs> um, but there is that camaraderie of yeah. referees. We all protect each other so of course all those things you get scars on your back just as you do as a player and you learn from those and you want to get better like 07 is a really good example for me about learning mm. you know first world cup 28 years old referee a quarterfinal which was the biggest quarterfinal out of four probably should never have been selected for that game probably you know be like take my legal hat on be giving a young associate you know a case which was probably a bit too beyond him when there's other people around who could have taken that kind of case but 07 four quarterfinals and I refereed France versus New Zealand and it was probably just a bit too big an occasion for me because of the fallout now I actually refereed the game really well apart from there's a big forward pass which led to the French scoring a try and New Zealand lose by two points now the headlines afterwards is you know Wayne Barnes misses forward pass which cost New Zealand the quarter final and they're out of the World Cup so you know, I've always thought that, you know, if you just put a little bit more thought into those appointments and you can protect the refs a little bit more. But that was very much a big learning point and some scars on my back after that. But you come back and you're like, how do I get better? How am I going to get better from that game? How do you deal with those scars? I mean, a lot's been in the press, hasn't it? It's about, you know, the way that people react to certain decisions in a game. And I don't think people realise quite... They, I think in this day and age, they realise maybe the effect they have on players or, or calling someone out, but they feel like officials are kind of like fair game. Yep. So how do you deal with those scars? So I've got a group, well, I used to have a group until I retired, um, of really close people around me who help me prepare and help me review a game, you know, and you'll know a lot of them, some ex-referees, Chris White, Tony Spreadbury, Phil Keith Roach from a scrummage point of view, um, an ex-international coach who helps me prepare and, um, and reviews a game, my wife who helps me kind of just review a game to see what I look like. 
Now, I can't please everyone. The one thing you can't do as a referee is, is please everyone. But what you can do is use people who understand the game inside out to get better. You listen to lots of people's opinions from within the game. So, you know, of course, you'll take the reviews and the input from coaches and from other kind of selectors in the game. But you've got to stay really true to those people who help you prepare your game. And as soon as you start thinking, oh, well, I need to make sure that the public are happy and I need to make sure the commentators and the written journalists are happy, that's when you kind of you get in a muddle in your head. So be really clear on what you're trying to achieve. Have a trusted group around you. Believe in what they say. They'll challenge you. And those five people who are around me challenge me more than anyone else. Bonzi, do you think that that's the template moving forward? Because you and your family have been subjected to horrific uh, social media abuse. Do you want to then give referees now that kind of support? Is that something that you're going to continue to do? Because there's no place for that kind of behaviour in our game. No. And how would you like to see the issue tackled? Is enough being done to support referees at international level? immediately after a game because a few days later it blows over to the next game but immediately after the game there appears to be an issue I think there are three points. I think the first one is from a legislation point of view. I think there should be a way of the government um, looking at legislating to make sure we can identify these people. So when you're on board with X or when you're on board with Facebook, you have to put something in there so we can come back and say, OK, this is a person who's abusing Lawrence Dalio. This is where they live and we're going to go and prosecute you because we all know, you know, you can't just write this we're going to come and chop your head off um, willy-nilly. If you want to do that, then you should face criminal consequences. And so there should be some legislation around that. I think there's something from the governing body, whether that's the RFU or from World Rugby, to say, we will find out who you are. So, And to be fair to World Rugby, they use some forensics kind of um, social media specialists during this World Cup to identify people. So they are at the moment searching. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, finding right. people, not just people who've abused me, but we heard some, you know, obviously some abuse that happened to, to Tom Curry. Well, inappropriate um, so, language or whatever it might exactly be because right. it's just not there's no place yeah. for it but when there's threats when when you go, you cross a line to say okay we're actually going to commit physical harm to you that's when I think the governing body can say right okay we've identified John who lives in Twickenham John you're banned from ever buying tickets at Twickenham again. We're taking your season ticket off you again and you're not allowed to be a member of any rugby club because that will say we take this seriously. So I think there's that. And then I also think there's then the, the psychological support. The one thing that World Rugby's never done is really put in place, you know, some kind of form of counselling or some form of psychological support. And you think about it, we've been away for eight, nine weeks um, in Paris. I think having that member of the team is something which I'll now look at to say, not just me, because I think you do get used to it. You do get those scars on your back. It is a little bit of water off a duck's back. But when your family start to get it, that's the people who probably need the support because they're not used to it and they shouldn't be used to it because they're not the ones who choose to be a ref or a player or a coach. So I think there's that idea of just making sure there's that kind of holistic support around officiating. I mean, it has got so much harder than it ever used to be. The pressure on you, the pressure on your assistants is completely different to what it used to be. I mean, it's it's not an easy question to answer, but, you know, the referee used to be the sole, you know, arbitrator of all decisions made on the field, and that was it. And we, everyone was happy with that. Whether you got them right or wrong, you can debate afterwards. Now, we've got this TMO situation. You've got the bunker system, you know, all the decisions that, that you were having to make. You made those decisions, but you could defer them to the TMO in certain instances pre-agreed. Some people are like Steve Hansen is saying, we've got a game that's, that's governed by action replays all the time. You know, I'm a big advocate that we shouldn't be showing tackles live in a stadium because if you show plane crashes live in a stadium, people probably wouldn't get on airplanes all the time. So, you know, I don't think it's a good way of marketing the game. Where does 
the balance lies? Do you think it's gone too far away from the referee and more on, on video replay? Or do we need to sort of just get a bit of common sense? Because we don't want games to finish at one in the morning. We want them to be over nice and quickly. But equally, we want to get decisions right. I've not been in a game that's finished at half one in the morning. What well, games are you watching? Well, the, ones, the ones that kick off at 10 o'clock okay. at night. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the one. I think the game needs to decide what it wants to be. And that's where I don't think we are at the moment. It was really interesting. I went to a conference eight, nine months ago with all the stakeholders of the game at Heathrow and the stakeholders, the owners of the league, the chief execs of all the uh, the unions. And they said, we need this game to be more entertaining. We need to get more bums on seats. We need to get um, be able to sell the product to you know BBC, to TNT, to Sky. You know, So we need the game to flow. Brilliant. We want the game to flow. So what that means is blowing your whistle less. So you then go to a meeting with the directors of rugby and the head coaches of international games and they say, we want you to get every single decision right. And after a match, I've had times when I've had emails come through, you know, part of the review assessment from one coach saying, here's 20 times you should have blown your whistle more. And then from the other coach picking up 20 other things, so an extra 40 decisions. Now the game doesn't know where it wants to be. So you either have to say to referees, let things go more, keep players on the pitch more, and that we're going to have a more free-flowing game. But then what you can't have is coaches coming out to the media saying, here's seven examples of Wayne not blowing his whistle. So you either go down the route of being a bit laissez-faire or you go down the route which coaches send us these emails of 20, 25 technicalities around someone entering a line out half a second too early or grabbing a meter on the kick chase and then you penalise everything, and then you get a game of 40 penalties and a ball in play of 25 or less minutes. So once a game decides that, referees can referee it. But at the moment, referees are being dragged from pillar to post, saying, add flow to the game, but get everything. And it's well, and it's not well, compatible. I was just going to say, were you disappointed then that New Zealand have actually written to World Rugby about the performance of the officiating in the final? I mean, I don't understand what it's going to achieve now, because obviously the game's finished, you've retired, but... That kind of response, is that disappointing for you? So <laughs> you raise that as a headline. You're never quite sure what that means. After every match, during, so I refereed New Zealand three times during a tournament, refereed them against Uruguay, refereed them against um, Ireland, and refereed them in the final. Didn't have a problem Africa. with the first two, did they? <laughs> well, no. but they sent feedback after every game. So they, they would say, can you clarify right. these points? So writing to complain about world rugby, as I've seen some of the headlines Slightly this week, misleading. can be very misleading. Right. When okay. they say, you know, in, in the the Telegraph this week, there was a headline saying Wayne Barnes retires because of the abuse that he's had. That's not right. That's not what I said. And it was totally misquoted. So I'm very sceptical about headlines. I'm sure because, you know, Fozzie, Ian Foster is very diligent and with Joe next to him, and they always go into detail after a match. And so after those other two matches, there's a lot of detail um, asking questions of, you know, of clarification. So it wouldn't surprise me if they've um, sent those into World Rugby. I haven't seen those yet. Okay. Right. I mean, if they'd, have kicked, if they'd have kicked the penalty goals, they might have won the game, actually. If they'd have played slightly more tactically and more astute in the first 20 minutes, they probably would have ended up not being nine points to three down. So that, that's what we need. We need Lawrence Lalio to, to phone him and, <laughs> well, and sort him out. Well, it's correct, isn't it? <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Okay, wait. So you got an autobiography coming out on the 14th of November? Yes. Okay, so I'm sure it's a fascinating read because obviously you've been in the middle of some amazing, amazing games and refereed some of the world's best players and probably some of the most... Difficult, challenging, annoying. Yeah. I don't know how you want to put it. So now that you don't have to face any of them on the field of play again, you're kind of free to spill the beans, right? Who would you say have been the top five hardest players to officiate? Well, yeah, so it's quite it is quite embarrassing to have an autobiography out, like thinking that, you know, there you are as a 15-year-old lad in, from the Forest of Dean and you're eventually going to write a book. It does feel slightly, you know, you get knots in your stomach even talking about it. But um, it was a lovely experience to be able to write it um, with a ghostwriter called Benders who's written James Haskell's autobiography, just written uh, Danny's. And it was just, it's actually quite nice to have something in front of you that you can show the kids here some of um, my experiences. In answer to your five hardest, I, I guess it depends what you mean by hardest. If you mean like really tough, physical, like everyone knows I was petrified of Martin Johnson. I even said sorry to him once when I yellow carded him. <laughs> uh, uh, I picked up, uh, pulled out a yellow card and said, I'm very sorry, sir. He replied, that's the only effing decision you've got right all day. So you can understand, you know, kind of that toughness. He had a really hard, like as a physically tough teammate called Julian White. I think he was perhaps one of the strongest blokes I've ever met. He once, um, in one of the games, Andrew Sheraton had the audacity to push him back at a scrum. Julian got up. Andrew gave him a bit of a shove. So Julian smacked him on the chin. And anyone who can put Andrew Sheridan on his backside is a tough bloke. Um, so I sent off Julian for Andrew's protection, I suppose. <laughs> um, so you, you get those, those hard men such as that. Players who are good over the ball... You know, so really good at um, jackling, make your job harder because you have to be in the right position to see everything, every single kind of uh, breakdown. So you go back historically, McCall, Pocock, Brousseau, you know, put Curry in that as well. You know, those types of players, Stefan Armitage, those players who are constantly over the ball, make it bloody hard to referee. And then I think hard and I think where you're getting at is the one annoying. annoying. (laughs) Um, It's always when players don't trust you. So... My job as a referee, I think, is to build a trusting environment. So when I go out on the pitch, they feel like I'm not getting the rubber to green against me. Barnes is actually being fair here. Yes, he's going to get some things wrong, but he's not trying to screw us over. So I try and build that relationship. You know, you build it over months and years and, and decades, and you build that in a change room, you build that on the pitch. As soon as players don't trust you, you're in a difficult situation because every decision you go, they'll shrug their shoulders, they'll wave their arms, and that then kind of goes into the crowd that then goes into the rest of the players and you get someone like um, I've said this before like Johnny um, like particularly over not recently but three four years ago didn't trust me 
quite clear he didn't trust me with some of my decision making so that made it hard for him it made it hard for me and it made it hard for the rest of his teammates so we sat down and had a chat about that and I think that changed over the last couple of years because Dan trusts me Dan Bigger but doesn't trust other referees so my job when I'm with Dan on the pitch is a lot easier than some other referees and but also you get coaches who don't trust you there was a period when Northampton didn't trust me at all you know after I sent Dylan in the 2013 final I'd go to Northampton and you'd literally see them bristle as I walked into the change room. So if a coach is bristling, you know what that's going to be um, said to the uh, to the teams uh, and the players. So those players or those coaches who fall out of trust with you, you've got to work hard to get that trust back because it does need to all work in kind of synergy between you coaches and the players. And look at that, not a mention of Laura Salalia or Austin no, Healy I, on the annoying say, front. I'm so impressed. I say I spent most of my career actually... <laughs> um, negotiating with uh, Barnsley's mentor, oh, I called, uh, Chris you. White. Okay, so uh, you know Barnsley's first final was my last game. So there you go. So, uh, okay, so, so they didn't have to put okay. up with me quite as much. But it is a negotiation, and I think you have the hardest job in the world. I really do. I know I've been banging on about this, but it must be easier when you're. T- I mean, all the decisions that you give predominantly around the breakdown or the scrum. So when you're talking to a forward, who's the captain, you can have a very simple negotiation. You know, when you're talking to the likes of Dan Bigger or Owen Farrell or Johnny Sexton, it's a much harder conversation to have because you've got to you've got is to walk. It, it is because well, it? they've got to walk towards you. You've got to walk towards them. Well, it's not very far, is it? A rugby no, pitch. I it's know, not like you're but, it, but everyone's looking. The cameras are looking, and then it. Beca- I'm sure Sir Khaleesi just has very quiet conversations with you, and you can just sort of, you know, when the ball's rolling into touch, you build that relationship, and you, and it's just easier to deal with them. Am, am I completely wrong in that aspect of the game? No, I just think they're involved in more. So what you get, you get a different perspective. So if you're standing at 10, you probably see a bit more. And the one thing about all those three players you just mentioned, you know, Owen, Dan and Johnny, is that they know the laws pretty well. And they know when they say something, the majority of times they're right. They'll be Are you like... you saying he was that off. they're brighter than forwards? No, yeah. I'm just putting it out there. No, but they, but they say it, but everyone, unfortunately, everyone hears it. So everyone wants the referee to be spoken to by being told what to do. Well, yeah. that, they're hearing as well. I mean, whenever I go to a game now, I always listen to ref mic because I find it particularly if somebody like yourself is refereeing it's so much easier to follow the game and understand what's going on but I guess that's double edged isn't it is a ref mic a good thing from your perspective because everything's being picked up I think so I think it's a complicated game that we've got um, and so to have a referee trying to explain because I think that is part of our role is to be a communicator um, to explain why I've penalised a collapse at the scrum why I've penalised a, a not clear release at the tackle I think that helps I actually, I'm going to own up here. I got a confession, I suppose. I went to a football match this weekend. So uh, <laughs> I went over to uh, Brentford, you know, my local club. Um, Good game. Yeah, it was West a great Ham. game. Yeah, West Ham versus Brentford. I got a, a lovely message from uh, the chief exec of Brentford to say, look, if you want a day away from rugby, it's your first weekend back. Uh, you want to bring family over. But um I took my lad along to watch it. And you feel a little bit like kind of nude there watching a football match without hearing. And and even with um, like when VAR popped up on the screen, um, because there was a potential handball in the the West Ham's, I think, second goal. It was like, I want to know what's going on. I want to know what they're looking at. And you're sitting there and you feel a little bit kind of like this needs to kind of involve the crowd. And I think rugby do it all right, but I think there's a way of rugby doing it better. You know, you still don't hear that conversation if you're sitting in Twickenham or at the stoop. You kind of look upon the screen, you make your own opinion, but you might know what they're looking at. So I think the more that we can engage and communicate with, you know, the fans in the stadium in particular and look at ways of doing it better at home, for me, I, I think that's a huge part of our game. So no, I, I love that the, the 
ref mic. It's also quite a deterrent. You just pointed it sometimes. So you've got to be careful what you say. Well, yeah. the, the camera now as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got so much to ask you. A couple of quick ones, quick fire questions. What was your favourite ground to referee at, either at club level or international levels? Oh, I think everyone loves Millennium or Principality, as it's now yeah. called. Being a Gloucestershire boy, King's own, pretty special. Yeah. Marseille, though, is a yeah. like a cauldron. Yeah. You know, if anyone was down there, I, I wasn't down there in this World Cup, but, you know, November last Fantastic. year, France yeah. versus South Africa. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Oh, it's noisy, um, noisy. And have you had a, um, any embarrassing moments? I mean, other than the game going on for 18 minutes at the end, <laughs> where you're trying to work out who to send off and who not to? Oh, well, that's right. You gave me 18. It was actually 100, like. Oh, when uh, Fra- France versus uh, Wales back in well, 2017, something like that. Yeah, went on for 100 minutes. That was um, slightly um, kind of embarrassing. I mean, you're, you're always a referee that if you've got something wrong, you just say, guys, I've got that one wrong. Let's just have a scrum, whatever. You know, you'd have a bit of fun with it. But is there, has there been anything embarrassing that's happened? No, Anytime really? you get run over, you always get embarrassed. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Season, so, yeah. Um, probably more embarrassing for Skulk Brits when he tried to run over me and he was the one who fell on his backside. So I always remind him of that. Um, most embarrassing, um, coming up through the ranks in the Championship Mosley versus Worcester when Worcester were trying to make their way through the ranks. I keep my red card in my right pocket, my yellow card in my left pocket, red right. Um, I hadn't checked that before the match. And Richard Provo, who's a hooker for Mosley, a little nuggety hard man, decided to give Tony Window, who was a loose head for Worcester, a bit of a dig. I called over um, Provo. I was going to, you know, draw a line and stand. Went into my uh, left pocket, picked it up, put it back in. Off he went with a shock and of disgust. After about 15 minutes, I said to one of the Mosley players, where's Provero? Is he coming back on? They said, you sent him off, you twat. <laughs> <laughs> Look, looked, in, looked in my pocket and had him the wrong way round. <laughs> do you have any superstitions going into a game? Do you do the certain things? Do you have, you know, are you quite ritualistic? Do you prepare in a certain way? I never kind of allowed myself to do that because I heard about, there's a referee, London referee called Roger Quittenton who'd always have a Mars bar before a match that was part of his oh, like wow. last 15 minutes giving that sugar rush um, someone thought it would be really funny to uh, eat the Mars bar about half an hour before kickoff, and he went do lally couldn't concentrate on the match so um, I don't have a ritual the only thing I do do just before I, I go out on the pitch I write reset on my right hand and what that means, you know, lots of different ways of explaining it. But when you start thinking about, you know, oh, I wonder if that decision's right, what that coach's going to say, what's the media going to say, you'll see me literally look at my hand and smile and think, there we are again, thinking about things I can't control, just concentrate on what you can control. So you'll see that every game I've ever refereed, I'll have reset written on my hand. That's cute. That's good. And yeah. um, mm. before we let you go, Wayne, what would you say... I don't know if this is a stupid question or not. Maybe it's not. What would you say your career highlight has been? Like for us, you'd imagine that it would be a World Cup final, but I'm, but knowing you, there's probably another one. <laughs> European final. You've done ten yeah, Premiership finals. So you've yeah, refereed everything, haven't you? They're all special, and the longevity point is what I'm perhaps yeah. most proud of. The game I always say is my favourite game was 2015 November down at Barnes, London French versus Kilburn Cosmos. Reason why is <laughs> I refereed a game without giving a single penalty. Uh, 80 minutes wow. without a single penalty. As I left the pitch, I was greeted by their president. Let's call him Jean-Pierre. Um, Jean-Pierre <laughs> handed me a beret with London French on and a glass of Chablis. And I got man in a match that day. Yeah. Only time oh. I got man in a match. So uh, that sticks with me. That will always be one of the games I which I remember. I think we need to finish on that. Point, beautiful. Yeah. 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 Merci, merci. Um, we cannot wait to read your book, which is called Throwing the Book, The Strife and Crime 
dreams of a rugby referee. Thank you so much for your, I don't know how to put it, your contributions to rugby over the years. Um, we're going to miss you. We'll miss you. Yeah, don't walk yeah. away from the game, Barnsley. Come on, you've got a lot to offer. I'm sure you'll be, it's time to reflect. You'll be involved in some way, shape or form. Needs to be. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Send my love to your wife. Will do. Love we'll Barnsley's do. wife, Polly. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he knows great, whether, he knows great, if he, great he knows, on a night out. He knows he's well. had a good game when she comes up yeah. and thumbs up from Polly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Vane, for coming out. Good to all see the you very, all. very best for the future. Thanks, sir. Okay, then let's have a very quick roundup of the Premiership action. It was home wins all round at the weekend. Rainy Friday night in the Northwest saw Sale Sharks beat Gloucester. Then on Saturday, Northampton went head to head with Bath at Franklin's Gardens, beating them 24 18. Saracens dominated Leicester to finish 32 17. Harlequins scored 40 points to Newcastle's 12 at the stoop. Uh, did you see that try? Amazing try by Tyrone yes. Green. Amazing. Uh, it was like Superman, mm. wasn't he? Uh, then Sunday's game was a West Country derby at Sandy Park where Exeter welcomed Bristol Bears the final score there being 29 points to 20 to the Chiefs who now find themselves topping the table it seems hard to believe gents that we are a quarter of the way through the competition that's yeah, mad it is mad uh, but it's also going to be a quick premiership this year isn't there only 18 games for all sides so nine home nine away so it makes the race to Christmas kind of you know to the Six Nations quite an important one I think really fascinating to see Saracens coming back bringing all their superstars back they look fantastic shock horror you get yourself fit to play in a World Cup you play three games four games of course you're going to come back to your club and play straight away because why wouldn't you that's your job so uh, other teams have decided to rest their players I mean to rest is to rust really as you get older you need to get straight back in there so I think it's going to be fascinating Saracens look the team to beat and I think they will be again this year so many good players so much motivation Exeter Great to see them back. They're looking very, very it's strong. Such a young team as well. Very young team with Brilliant. a few wise and old heads. If the coaches don't change, the players have to change. Otherwise, the messaging gets very boring. So I think they've been very smart there. And they've been smart because Baxter was saying that he just knew that they had to change the way they played yeah. a little bit. If they wanted and they, to progress. And they, they are changing. Change. So it's fascinating. I think Sale will be there or thereabouts. Quinn's look fantastically uh, tasty team again. So I think it's, I know we say it every year, it's going to be incredibly, incredibly competitive. I'm up at Leicester at the weekend, my old stomping ground. I'm so welcome up there. They love me up. <laughs> so uh, I'm watching uh, Leicester Quinns at the weekend Same, and then uh, I'm with you and then I'm uh, at Northampton Saints so um, you know for us the fight goes on we don't just ride off into the sunset like Barnsley on, on those on that, <laughs> on that anti international return because uh, David Flatman said on commentary you had three weeks off but that's not right is it didn't you go straight back into playing in well, 2003 well when we won the World Cup final uh, well, Gatlin phoned me out and said well done sober up um, you're coming up to Newcastle this weekend to parade the trophy with Johnny Wilkinson and then you're playing next week <laughs> in the European game I said fine great can't say no to Gats can you he no. said I'll find some time off for you later on in the season and when we lost the World Cup final a bit like you know the, the England guys you just want to get straight back on the horse you want to use that disappointment and, and get back into it so uh, yeah your job is to play rugby I mean if you're fit emotionally mentally and physically what, what else are you going to play yeah. yeah. okay well the Premiership will be back as we've mentioned at the weekend and we have another West Country derby this time between Gloucester and Bath Bristol will face off against Sale Sharks Harlequins as uh, Lawrence has already mentioned will be travelling to Matoli Woods well Road to take on Leicester. Sarries will head up to Newcastle. Then the last game of the weekend is Northampton Saints against Exeter Chiefs at Franklin's Garden. So it's going to be a good weekend, gents. It is. And, you know, listen, you could pick any of those games. Pick your team, pick where you're going to go, enjoy yourselves or go to a football match if you don't want to do that. No. Uh, <laughs> what do that? <laughs> well, on that note, wrap it up. Say yeah, goodbye to everyone. Sign off. <laughs> well, that's all for this week. Listen, uh, despite obviously enjoying the company of my uh, co-hosts, it's been uh, a great pleasure to chat to Wayne Barnes. My thanks to him and to Sarah and Steve. We'll be back next week with more rugby chat. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs> 
Don't go watch football. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.